All right, well, we're going to go ahead and get started. I got the thumbs up back there, and uh, <clears throat> we'll get uh, into our lesson, um, talking a little bit uh, more about uh, uh, change. We're getting into um, the four uh, uh, specific, um, if you will, uh, process part of, the, of, of change, biblical change, uh, talking about uh, uh, the teaching, correct, uh, conviction, correction, discipleship, that we find in Second uh, Peter, or excuse me, Second Timothy, chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen, and we're going to talk a, a bit about uh, teaching this uh, this evening, getting into uh, that uh, doctrinal aspect of it. So, well, let's go ahead and pray. We'll get started and uh, get right into it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the time that we have. I thank you again, Lord, for those that are here, and uh, just uh, again uh, an opportunity, Lord, to study your Word. And Lord, as we uh, continue to look to uh, your scripture for the guidance, the direction, and the instruction that we need in this life, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be uh, very soft and tender in yielding to your Holy Spirit, uh, that we would learn something, that, uh, Lord, we would uh, understand the concept of this, that we would understand that uh, throughout our life, uh, we're going to be faced with uh, changes uh, that we need to make in our behavior, in our thinking, uh, and most importantly, in our heart. And Lord, again, I just thank you for um, uh, just dying on the cross for our, our, our sins, Lord, that we can have salvation through you, and that we can look uh, to these things, Lord, to um, see that sanctification uh, and uh, the use that we're supposed to have of, uh, of our life to please you and to honor you. I pray, Lord, you just be with me and with my mind, with my mouth, that all of this would give you glory, honor, and praise. And this I ask in your son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So if we start over where we've been uh, kind of parked for a little bit over there in, in Second, uh, Second Timothy 3 and verses uh, 16 and 17, uh, we see that uh, it's very clear here that, uh, as he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And it says, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So obviously we see right there, it's pretty clear that we as believers uh, have a duty. I mean, obviously we see that we're supposed to be uh, abiding by those good works. He's giving us everything that we need to do that and to accomplish that. We've talked a bit about the perfection part and how God has very clearly uh, outlined that it is something that we can do, and it's something that it can be attained uh, through his word, through the Holy Spirit. And those are the two main things that we see when it comes to any type of change, that it has to have those components. But as part of that, we begin to see the process of it. We get to this part where he talks about all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for doctrine. And this this gets into the teaching aspect of it. Uh, a lot of people have uh, some misunderstandings sometimes about what doctrine is. Uh, some people will sit there and they'll think, well, okay, there's, uh, there's, there's specific doctrines in, in Scripture, such as it talks about doctrine of baptisms, and there's seven different baptisms. Uh, there's uh, resurrections. There's a doctrine of resurrections in Scripture, and there's seven resurrections we find in Scripture. Um, we, I mean, you, you, you go through and you find all of these things. There's the doctrines of the mysteries of God that are in scripture as well. Uh, there's uh, doctrinal components in the book of revelation that sometimes people get bogged down, especially when it comes to, 
uh, uh, end time prophecy and they get uh, focused on those things. But there's one thing that we, we need to understand about what doctrine is. Uh, doctrine is simply defined is, uh, it, that which is taught as truth. That which is taught as truth. Now, I say as truth because there is a, such a thing as false doctrines or doctrines of men. Uh, things that may be, as we see in from scripture, doctrines of devils. Uh, those things are not truth. Those are things that are lies. And, and it becomes very important that when we begin to realize that we need to have change, we need to be, if you will, educated, taught, uh, we need to receive that, uh, um, that, that, that instruction. Uh, one thing that becomes very apparent and very clear is that if it's not based in truth, it's going to be based in a lie. And if it's not based in the truth of the word of God, let's just face it, it's a lie. Uh, you know, man can come up with all sorts of, uh, uh, novel little ways to, to try to come up with a 12 step process or a 15 step process or, uh, however much process that they try to come up with, uh, to, to, to provide some sort of, uh, uh, change in a person's life. But again, as we've seen, it's often very humanistic in its form. And when it's humanistic in its form and it's glorifying the flesh and God is not present, it, it, that stuff's just not going to last. Now, why is that? Turn over the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 12 outlines this pretty, pretty, pretty bluntly. Um, uh, Proverbs chapter 12. And if you take a look at uh, verse 19, it says here, The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. So if we're trying to make a change in our life and we're doing something as, as like a lie, something, let's just take as an example that power of positive thinking. Uh, if I just, you know, uh, have something in my life where I am positive that good things are going to happen to me, good things are going to happen to me. I'm going to be positive that I'm going to have a good day, therefore I will have a good day. I'm going to be positive that, you know, these good expectations that I have are going to come unto me. Therefore, I know that they will come unto me. That stuff's a lie. And the reason is, is because it bases everything on, if you will, the attitude of positivity in your heart. Now, there's some things that I'm very positive of. Paul was very positive of some things. Uh, he, he was uh, very, very, as he says there, he was persuaded about what God had told him. He was persuaded about his belief in Christ. He was persuaded that it was Christ that could do that, that it wasn't him. So he had, if you will, a positivity towards God, knowing that it was God that was going to do the things. But as we see in Scripture, we understand that we're going to go through trials and afflictions and so on and so forth. We're going to go through difficult times, and and often that is to refine us. That is to sometimes purge us. And there's a difference between refining and purging. There's a huge difference. Um, uh, sometimes, you know, an individual is going to have to go through and, and get purged and get some of those sinful things out of their life, and God's going to use some corrective actions. Sometimes there's some things that, that, that are not quite glorifying to God, and he wants to refine us. So we go through some things, go through some heat, go through some trials, and it brings out the glory of God much brighter. 
just like a just like a metal, gold, silver, uh, um, that we see over there in First Corinthians three. But what we find here is we find that God makes it clear that things that are of the truth have an establishment forever. And that's true because we know that the word of God is perfect and pure, and we know that the word of God is preserved forever. So we understand what, what, what uh, the uh, this proverb's talking about when it talks about the lips of truth, or excuse me, the lip of truth shall be established forever. It's talking about what God says, God's word. This is a verse about God's word versus man's, and He says the lying tongue is but for a moment. You might have a brief moment of change. But that change is not going to last as we've talked about. And this is one of the biggest issues that people see is they're like, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep going back to the same sin? Why do I keep, uh, you know, if you will, uh, violating God's word? Why do I keep messing up this way? It's because there is an establishment, if you will, that is not based in truth. So when we start talking about doctrine and we start talking about truth, we need to understand that there is going to be one standard of that truth. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. But one thing that is very clear from Scripture, that doctrine and teaching has a practical purpose. It has a practical purpose in our life. Um, you know, again, doctrine isn't just about prophecy. Doctrine is about Christian living, about application. You know, somebody can come along and, and, and it's great that they can, uh, you know, go through and, and they know, you know, all of the, uh, the, the, the ancient Hebrew and the, the, the Greek texts and everything of that nature. And, and, and they can go through and they can, uh, um, you know, rightly divide the word of God and, and they can talk about the rapture here and they can talk about, you know, uh, the tribulation period and the kingdom of heaven and they can talk about all those things in the church age and so on and so forth and look at all the things from church history. But if they don't use it in a practical way to actually make a change or to glorify God, it's simply just knowledge that puffs up. It's knowledge that puffs up. <clears throat> you ever see a, a, a young person when they start getting a little bit of knowledge? What happens? Oh man, their heads swell. And I know we got some young people in here and I get it. And so, you know, unless I'm approaching you with this, you know, you don't, don't worry about it. Don't, don't think I'm preaching at you or something of that nature. And if the Lord convicts you, then so be it. But, you know, but I'll, I'll say this, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they, they hit that teenage years and, and what is it? You can't tell them anything. It's just like they know it all. And look, I will tell you this. I was a young man too. And there were certain things that I knew that, that nobody else could tell me otherwise. And then later on in life, guess what I found out? I was wrong. <gasps> yeah. <clears throat> the, I, I, that realization of, okay, maybe I didn't understand it. Or maybe maybe my, my uh, uh, impression of something was wrong. Or whatever it may be. But, but at, at some point in time in this life, we have to realize that there is a practical use... And, and as we talked about here, that profitability uh, of the Word of God, there's a practical use for doctrine in the Christian life. That doctrine is meant to teach us the ways of righteousness, to instruct us into those paths, to train us specifically. And we're going to even get into that a little bit more when we start talking about discipleship. Because again, a lot of people have a, sometimes a misunderstanding about what that is. But all doctrine has a practical purpose behind it, 
And when I say practical, I'm talking about use in day-to-day. Use in day-to-day activities. Use in day-to-day thoughts. And use in our daily heart walk with God. Uh, That's of a critical importance. Go back over there to 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy, and and we see very clearly um, in the... um, Into chapter 2 there in verse 15, we, we, we see very clearly that God makes this statement that we're very familiar with that says, So you show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed of rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. So there is the, there's the result of what happens when we use something that is outside of the word of God is it promotes an ungodly behavior, an ungodly mindset, and an ungodly heart attitude. So when we look at the scripture, this is why he's saying study. He's not saying study so you can have a bunch of knowledge and you can walk around and go, well, I know everything about the word of God. I know everything that the word of God says. I know everything that is included in scripture. Well, if you do, then um, there might be a bit of a problem there because um, I, I don't, I haven't found anybody that knows that, um, and, and I think that might be a little bit boastful, and uh, I would dare say pride, and so they may know everything about it, but they're obviously not using it the right way, because God abhors pride; it's an abomination to Him. So we see that very clearly that that you know a person can be puffed up with knowledge can be uh, just, you know, filled with themselves and and not have any understanding of what God is teaching them to do. They may know every little aspect of how to do something, but if they don't know the necessity behind it, if you will, sometimes the why behind it, I will tell you that that person's going to struggle in their Christian life. So one thing that we understand is, is that there's got to be a practicality to it. That study has to, if you will, bring us closer to God in, a, you know, in godliness. I take a look at chapter four of Second Timothy. Check out chapter four, and in, uh, <clears throat> um, excuse me, First Timothy. Let's try First Timothy. I was in chapter four. Second Timothy isn't going to work. Um, <clears throat> First Timothy, chapter four, <clears throat> and he goes through. And he says in verse 11, he says, these things command and teach. These things command and teach. And what does that mean? It means congregations uh, need to be taught. People need to be taught. It's just one of those things. I need to be taught. Just because I'm a pastor of a church doesn't mean that I don't get taught on a frequent basis. There's a lot of stuff I still don't know, and, I, and, I, and I'm not going to claim that I have all knowledge of Scripture. But as we go down through this, we get to uh, verse uh, verse 15. He says, meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. Now, again, he's not talking about profit in the form of money, but profiting as in the glory of God. That this individual is representing the glory of God and who he is in his, in what he's doing. And he's saying, look, you got to meditate on this. You got to meditate on it. And it's not just a casual thought process. 
No, it's it, it, it's fully involved. Meditation is not something that, again, is just this uh, this happenstance of just like, oh, hey, I'm going to kind of think about it a little bit, and you know, when I get time and when it pops into my brain or anything of that nature. No, it's not anything like that. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be very clearly something that he talks about that says, this is a meditation. I want you to really, truly think about this. I don't want you to just, if you will, casually have a thought process. But when we get down to verse 16, he says, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. So one of the things that we clearly see and that we, that we find out about this is that doctrine can can really make a life change. Doctrine can do some things. And here he's talking about saving itself and, 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 and those that hear thee. And again, understanding what the salvation is talking about. He's not talking about, you know, saving himself, uh, um, you know, salvation in that manner of, you know, salvation of uh, from sins. But he's talking here very clearly about some salvation in regards to preserving somebody's self Blameless, as he often calls it. Being perfect. Doing these things that are going to keep you away from the consequences of sin that he talks about over there in Galatians, chapter 6, where he says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked whatsoever man soweth, that shall uh, uh, he also reap. Those are are things, personally, you can save yourself from a lot of heartache, right? By just doing what is right. By just learning. But just sitting back and going, okay, you know what? I'm wrong. And saying, hey, I'm wrong. Therefore, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit back and learn what is right. And again, we're talking about the standards here. And we see here, he says, giving he- or taking heed unto doctrine. Unto doctrine. Again, so we see that this doctrine is not just simply, if you will, uh, understanding the typology of Jesus Christ that is found in Joseph, but understanding how to apply what Joseph did as a type of Christ to my life so that I may mirror what Christ's expectation for me is so that he gets glory, honor, and praise. So we see there's a a big difference behind the way that people will approach doctrine. But one thing that is very true, and we talked about this last week, turn over again to Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20 and verse 27, is it has to be all the counsel. All the counsel. And verse 27, Paul's telling him, he says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And here's the issue, is sometimes some people will take only a partial amount of, of, of if you will, the counsel of God, the, the word of God, and only take a small amount of that and not apply all of it to their life. It's piecemealing something. It's piecemealing it. And I tell you, piecemealing it just never works. Um, you know, in my job, there was, you know, before we had made some major process changes, we'd get a lot of things piecemeal. We'd get somebody saying, hey, I want an agreement. Oh, okay. And they'd give us the name of the facility, servicing pharmacy, some basic terms, you know, duration, uh, pricing, and we'd put it in. And then they'd come back and say, well, no, it's wrong. Why is it wrong? Because you left this out. Well, you didn't tell me that. Oh, I, I need that. 
Okay, is that everything? Yeah, okay. So we go through, that stuff's approved, we add it in, and then they come back and they say, oh, the customer said that there's something wrong with the agreement. Well, what's wrong with it? Well, I promised them in the sales speech that I was going to give them this. You might have wanted to tell us that. They get that approved and we put it in. And, and it just becomes more of a problem because you're just piecemealing this thing together over the course of time. And it's just like, how about you give it to us all at once and then we can address it and create something that is going to be exactly what the customer wants. And you present it to them and they sign the document. Novel concept, right? <laughs> the same thing goes with us you know, from a scriptural basis. We shouldn't be jumping from crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis and from change to change to change to change. We should be looking at it, if you will, as in the whole counsel of God, all this counsel of the Lord, and receiving all of the, the scripture so that we can make a change that pleases him. I understand growth over time, and I understand how that happens. And, and I don't expect somebody that has been saved five minutes to have the same knowledge that somebody that's been saved 50 years. But I've also seen people that have been saved five minutes have more discernment and knowledge than somebody that's been saved 50 years. Because, again, it all depends on what they're getting from the Word of God and what they're, they're desiring to do. So, so what we see here is we understand that when we talk about doctrine, it has to be, again, of a practical use. It has to be something that is based in truth, but it also has to be the whole counsel of God. Let's take a look at a couple of passages over in the book of Psalms. And then we'll take a look at Proverbs here in just a minute. But Psalms chapter 16, point out a couple of things in regards to this counsel of the Lord. Uh, Psalms chapter 16, and this is why it's important that we understand this concept when we're talking about the counsel of God, what it means. Psalm chapter 16, and take a look here at um, verse 7. He says, I will bless the Lord. Who hath given me counsel. Let's just stop and think about that phrase just for one moment. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. You want to know what the implication is? The implication is, is that the psalmist heard what God said and he blessed God by doing what God told him to do. That's how you bless God. Simply doing what God asks you to do. That's a blessing to him. That's a novel concept when we think about that, but this isn't just the only one verse that talks about blessing the Lord. There's multiple passages that talk about blessing God. And it, again, involves what we're doing, giving Him praise, giving Him honor, giving Him worship, uh, um, doing that which is right, all of these things. Because we see here in the second part of this uh, this uh, this uh, verse, this, uh, if you will, some clarification about it. He says, my rains also instruct me in the night seasons. When it's dark, when you're going through a very difficult time in your life, when it seems like everything has been abandoned, you know what the most important thing is? Who's controlling your rains? Who's got the rains of your heart? What has the rains of your heart? If it's some, something else other than God, it's an idol. And, and, and I dare say that that's a dangerous thing. That's a dangerous thing. You know what would be a very dangerous thing to have happen? To have a team of horses all of a sudden decide that they don't want to listen to, to, to the person that's controlling the reins and they just go do what they're going to do. Regardless of how they're being pulled on and tugged on and whatever happens and they just go and do whatever they're going to do. 
a team of horses is going to destroy whatever is being pulled behind them, and it will just destroy everything. It's out of control. So when we begin to realize that it's the counsel of God that is going to be the reins of our heart, that's going to guide us in what we think, it's going to guide us in our desires, it's going to guide us in our actions and our words, then, then, then we begin to realize that that's how I'm going to bless God. That's how I'm going to bless God with this. And he makes it very clear here, this is what happens when it's dark. When it's dark. When it's dark, it's hard to see what's going on. It's going to be very difficult to see who's controlling those reins. So when we're in the midst of trouble, we need to make sure that our, our confidence is that God's got this. And he's got the ones that he's got the reins. He's controlling this. He's the one that's controlling our hearts and our desires and our thoughts. So that becomes of grave importance. Turn over to Psalm chapter 33. Psalm chapter 33. In Psalm chapter 33 and in verse 11, here's an important principle. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Now, this is an important thing. This is also talking about the word of God. It stands forever. It stands forever. You ever get counsel that is, uh, you know, if you will, relegated only to a certain period of time? Let's say you, you do stocks and you got a stockbroker and the stockbroker says, now's the time to buy, now's the time to sell. And you sit there and you think about it for two or three weeks. Sometimes those opportunities are gone. You call him up three weeks later and go, yeah, I think I'm going to buy that. And he's like, that opportunity is long gone, long gone. That stock that you could have got for a buck a share is now $100 a share. You still want to buy? What would you do? You miss the opportunity. Calls you up and tells you to sell. You're like, well, let me think about it. And you've got that stock and it's $100 a share. And he says, I want you to sell all those shares. And then you call him up three weeks later and you say, oh, yeah, I'm going to sell. And he goes, it's a little too late. Let me tell you how much you lost. Because it all dropped down to a dollar a share. Time sensitive, right? That counsel doesn't always last. The counsel that man gives you, because it's temporary, because it's of a lie, because it is of man and it's temporal in its very nature in the form of humanism, that's never going to last. However, the word of God, which has been around for millennia, that stuff over in Genesis is still applicable today. There's still principles that are applicable today in the book of Genesis. Joseph fleeing from, from, from wickedness and sin. Abraham making some decisions to believe God at his word. Those are all things that are, are, are applicable today. That stands forever. That stands forever. This is why we need to make sure that whatever it is we're using is truth. Is truth is the word of God. Turn over to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. <clears throat> and uh, as, as this book opens up in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, A wise man will hear... And will increase learning. A man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. 
Well, one of the most important things about wisdom is understanding when there's something that is told to you is wise and when something is told to you that's foolish. Now, again, we can kind of put it in a little bit of a, a kind of a, if you will, a terminology. Uh, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So we can kind of take that and use that in an, in an application sense and say, anything that's foolish is ignore, ignoring God. It's ignorant of him. But the things that are wise are, are, are seeking after wisdom, seeking after uh, that as a treasure, seeking after uh, um, uh, her in, in specifically the way that God told us to seek after wisdom. But what do we find here? We find he says very clearly, he says a person that is, uh, is uh, uh, of understanding is going to attain unto that. That means that his whole thing that he's going to do is he's going to want to obtain that. Means he's going to get to that point where he's, you know, attaining it in his life. It's there. It's, it's something that he's capable of reaching. And this is what God says. He says, look, just, just, just attain to that. Just go after that wise counsel. Not, 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 not the other type of counsel. Turn to chapter eight. Chapter eight is where wisdom is, is going through and de- declaring herself. And here it says in verse uh, uh, 8, or excuse me, chapter 8 and verse 14, it says, Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. I have strength. Most people struggle with change and the endurance behind it because they don't have the strength to do it. The reason they don't have the strength to do it is because they have not sought the counsel of the word of God, they don't have an understanding behind it. You know, and, and inevitably, I have had people say, well, I've looked at the word of God, and I know what the word of God says, but it's still not working. Well, then obviously there's some sort of a misunderstanding. And I don't think it's on the, on the side of God. I think it's probably on our side. And I use that probably, you know, in, if you will, in a sarcastic sense. It is on our side. It is on our side. Turn over chapter 11. Chapter 11, when we see this counsel of the word of God in verse 14, it says, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Where can you find a multitude of counselors? Adam. Yeah. Let's go with the, the, the youth group answer. God, Jesus, Bible. <laughs> it's, it's in scripture. Everyone from Adam to Paul. And everyone in between. There's, there's a ton of counselors. There's a ton of books that are listed in here. There's a ton of, uh, 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 of men and women of God that have a love for the Lord and a love for his word that will give wise counsel from scripture. There's a, there's a, there's a lot of counselors that we can come to that are going to give that counsel. Now again, you got to have to hear, heed it because if you don't heed it, then there is no counsel. And what happens when there's no counsel? When there's no word of God applied and there's no teaching that is involved and there's no doctrine involved in this change, the person is going to fall. They're, they're, they're going to stumble. They're going to, they're going to trip up. They're going to have all sorts of issues. But God makes it clear that if we have the counsel of the word of God, those things, we can make that change. 
through the Holy Spirit with his word. Turn over to chapter 12. Chapter 12 of the book of Proverbs, verse 15. Again, we see the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. See how it ignores God? This is humanistic, by the way. This is the entire book of Judges summarized right there. A bunch of fools that thought they knew, knew what they were doing, but they were doing that which was right in their own eyes. Well, somebody can try to do that which is right in their own eyes, but I guarantee you, if it, it you know, if it's not right according to God's standards, it's sin. And he says there, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Why is that important? Because that counsel comes from God. That counsel is not of his own. You ever try to counsel yourself? Doesn't work out so well. Now the word of God will counsel you. The Holy Spirit will counsel you. Those are things that we begin to realize that, 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 that God is trying to teach us when he's talking about hearkening unto the counsel. We've got to listen to it. It's not just enough to sit there and say, well, okay, I've got the word of God. I know what it says. It's actually hearkening unto it. Hearkening unto it means that you actually are listening to it and you are doing it. So it's not just something that is, if you will, just a, a, a casual observance. It involves the doing of that as well. So when somebody says, hey, I, you know, I'm going to give you advice and you don't do anything with it, well, that doesn't do you any good. So when, when God says, hey, I'm going to give you counsel for, from my word, this is what you need to do with your life, this is how you need to do things, and, and we actually listen to it, there's wisdom involved in that. There's wisdom involved. Finally, turn over to chapter 19. Chapter 19, this is only partial of a few of the verses that mention the counsel of God. In verse 21, it says, uh, um, <clears throat> okay, chapter 19, there we go. It says, there are many devices in a man's heart, nevertheless the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. You ever devise a plan? You ever get things, you know, to the point of where you're like, oh, I know exactly how I'm going to do this. Now, like, I'm going to do this, and then this is going to happen, and then I'm going to do that, and this is going to happen. And then when that happens, then I'm going to go ahead and do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then that's going to guarantee that I'm going to have this happen, and then that means that I will have attained whatever I'm trying to attain. What usually happens after the first step? <laughs> Explodes. Why? Because it doesn't happen the way we want it to happen. Have you ever planned something and it didn't turn out the way that you thought it would? Try that with recipes. Try that with recipes. You're sitting there going, oh man, that sounds good. And, and, and then you go and you try it and you're like, oh, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to play around with the recipe a little bit here and, and I'll try this and see what happens. And it doesn't turn out. It doesn't turn out. That, that often gets people when they first start baking. Because there's a huge difference between the kind of, if you will, oil and fat that you use in baking. And it produces very different results. You use a, a vegetable oil when you're trying to make your chocolate chip cookies. Ugh. You use shortening. Ugh. Comes out completely different than if you use real butter, right? Use margarine and it's still it's like, mm, something's a little different there. But, you know, again, you start looking at the things that, 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 you know, how you're supposed to do it. You follow the recipe. It's going to work out. 
So when we look at this, we, you know, there's a lot of things that man devises in his, in, in his life that he says, well, I'm going to do this and this is what's going to happen and so on and so forth. Well, I tell you, things change in a heartbeat. You know, there you are one day just sitting, you know, going along and thinking everything's fine and you're going to do this and do that for the day. And then next thing you know, is you're like, oh, I don't feel so good. Something changes. Next thing you know, you're in a hospital. <laughs> 40 stitches. I mean, you know, uh, that wasn't planned. It's not how I expected to spend the, you know, the month of August. But again, you know, there's a lot of things that we devise in this life, but it's, it's, it's the counsel from God that's actually going to last. Our, 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 the way we devise, you know, devise things is just, it's not going to last. It's just not going to last. So one thing that we have to begin to understand when we start looking at this doctrine again is is we have to look at what exactly is taught. What exactly is taught? We know that, you know, obviously we're teaching and we're teaching doctrine, we're teaching truth, we're teaching things from the Word of God, the counsel of God. Uh, but, but we have to understand that what is being taught is God's standards. It's God's standards. So in counseling, whenever somebody comes in and says, okay, here's what's going on, then you, you you go to the Word of God and you say, okay, here's the standard. Here's the standard. If you do not abide by this standard, there is not a lot that's going to happen. Well, I should let me revise that statement. There's a lot that's going to happen that you're not going to like. <laughs> it's usually the way it is. <clears throat> I mean, you know, and everybody, now look, here's the thing. There's all sorts of different standards, all right? There's variation of standards. There's this uh, uh, guy, um, I can't remember his name, I just remember the first initial, something, be something Skinner, and this guy, he came up with this mindset of uh, of how to make uh, uh, the, the necessary change in a person's life. So he's doing this from a therapy, counseling, psychology uh, uh, standpoint, and he basically approaches it with uh, evolution as the mindset. So when he approaches it with an evolution as a mindset, he's basically saying, okay, here's what I see. I see that if you uh, um, go through the process of learning, that you're conditioning yourself. Because it it, it deals with, uh, um, you know, learning, reward, uh, punishment, so on and so forth. It goes back to Pavlov's dogs. We all know that those turned out, right? There's a guy who goes through and he decides to, to, to train these dogs. And every time he gives them a nice big juicy steak, he rings a bell. And he does that over a course of how many uh, months or however, whatever time frame it was. So to the point of where every time he rang the bell, the dogs automatically started drooling. They couldn't help themselves. Now, what's the problem with that? What's the problem with behavioral conditioning? It approaches man in a way that is not biblical. We're not animals. We're nowhere near animals. So when somebody says we came from a monkey, okay, no. A monkey is operating off of what? Conditioning and instincts. Conditioning and instincts. And for somebody to, if you will, de-evolve themselves into an animalistic state, becoming, as the Bible calls them, brute beasts, 
See, Bible, Bible's got it all covered, right? They can become brute beasts. What do they know? They don't, they, they, they can't think. They can't discern. They can't judge. They can't, they can't make rational thought processes or anything of that nature. Isn't that kind of describing the way it is today? I had one guy, he was describing, uh, the, uh, the way that things work in, in this world as a pendulum. He says, sometimes it swings all the way over here to the point of where everybody is on this logic train. Where everybody's like logic and knowledge and logic and knowledge and everything's got to be logical and knowledge and things like that. The Greeks were like that. Greeks were like that. And then what happens? It swings way over here to where we see that, that kind of, if you will, the depravity part of it, where individuals are over there and they're just like, uh, they, they become brute beasts. They're not going after knowledge. They don't care about knowledge. All they care about is just raw, if you will, sensation. And 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 it swings these these ways. And and again, we can move over to that section over there, where instead of talking about dealing with you know education and thought processes and logic, you swing over here to where it's all emotionalist conditioning of a person. And I dare say the pendulum has swung that way a lot in this world today. Because you can approach somebody with a lot of thoughts and, and, or excuse me, with a lot of logic. And what do they do? They throw logic out the window. You're like, seriously? Somebody, I mean, you know, look, you know how you, you know how you deal with the drug problem? Give them more drugs, right? No! I mean, you know, that's not how you deal with it. But but but, yeah, but then everybody sits here and says, well, that's the easiest way to deal with it. But it doesn't involve counsel from the Word of God. What does the counsel of the Word of God say? It says, stop it. <laughs> I did it again. <clears throat> I'll, I'll tell you about that some other time. But, you know, there therein lies the issue. Is it becomes this idea, if you will, of this concept of of a standard. And with the Skinner guy, he, his standard was whatever the change, whatever they wanted him to change into. So if you are there conditioning somebody to be Batman, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have Batman be the standard. But if you're over here conditioning somebody to be whatever else you're you're trying to get them to be, they're going to be that. So you have varying different standards. If you're trying to condition them to be a hero, and then on the other hand, somebody's over here trying to condition them to be a villain, where's the standard? We, we, we personally, right now, in this day and age, and, and again, this is not just a Western problem, okay? This is a worldwide problem. Why? Because it's a sin problem. We don't have a standard if God's word is not the standard. That, that becomes so critical. Uh, let me give you, let me point this out. Go over, go over to the book of, uh, um, let's go to Matthew. Let's start with Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, he's talking to the 11 after his resurrection, after he's met with them. He gives them another commission similar to Mark chapter 16. But this one's a little bit different. <clears throat> he gives a commission in each one of those, um, those gospels to the 11 about what they were to do. 
And we find this one uh, in verse 16, and he says, uh, and the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, in the mountain where Jesus appeared, uh, appointed them. When they saw them, or saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now again, some people are going to get messed up with that because if they don't understand that, they're going to start associating water baptism with salvation. Don't do that. In verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And he, he, he taught the disciples a lot of things. Now, some of those things are obviously not applicable to us. You know, we don't have to endure to the end to be saved. But what we do find here is he says, I want you to teach them to observe all things whatsoever he commanded you. Now, he commanded them basically from the perspective of he was following what God the Father was telling him to do. Well, how do we know that? Well, let's go over to the book of John. Let's go over to the book of John. John chapter 5. Let's start with John chapter 5. Might help if I was in John and not in Luke. John chapter, I'm like, that's not the right verse. Um, John chapter 5, and uh, let's take a look here at verse uh, 19. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what, so, what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. What did he just talk about? He said, well, whatever the Father is doing that has been revealed to, 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 to Christ here, he's doing those things. Now again, understanding who this is, yes, we know this is God. We understand that this is Jesus. But at the same time, it says that, that Jesus also learned obedience. He put himself, the Bible says he humbled himself to be found in fashion as a man. He went through all the same processes that we go through. Yet, you know, as it says here, he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. So there's a big difference. But yet what we find here is he's showing that pattern. He's saying, God the Father did this, I'm doing this, now you disciples do this. It's the pattern. Turn over to another, uh, take a look at verse 30. Verse 30 of the same chapter. He says, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. What is he teaching us? Don't do what you want to do. Do what God wants you to do. This is what he's teaching. This is, this is the stuff that he's teaching. Let's go over to verse 36 of the same chapter. But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me. He's saying there's a purpose behind this, and the purpose behind it is to clearly show and demonstrate what God wants, what God's intent is. Turn over to chapter 8, John chapter 8. John chapter 8, and he's doing this as an example. Jesus Christ is the greatest example we have. Even Paul said that. He says, as long as I follow Christ, follow me. 
But what we find here is we find exactly what Christ is saying that he did. And he's showing a pattern. And it's a pattern of humility. It's a pattern of submission. And I'll tell you this, if a person cannot learn to be, uh, uh, learn to be humble, learn to be yielding, and learn to be submissive, they're going to have a rough go of this life. They're going to have a real rough go. They're going to get knocked to and fro, and they're going to get uh, uh, wind up one day in the middle of a pig pen coming to themselves. So what do we find here in, in, in John chapter 8 and verse 28? Then Jesus said unto them, When ye have uh, lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Verse 29, just to, to continue that thought. And he says, And he that sent me is with me, and the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. So over there in Matthew chapter 28, he tells them, I want you to teach this to all nations. Teach them to do what I am commanding you to do. And what I'm commanding you to do is follow the example that I am setting, which is not to do my will, but to do the will of the Father. And he's the one that's going to teach me, and he's the one that's going to show me, and he's going to teach me what to say. It's a scriptural principle. Even Christ is showing that here to his disciples so that they would understand this concept. Take a look at verse 38 of the same chapter. He says, I speak that which I have seen with my Father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. Now, if you know anything about John chapter 8, this is the one where he says, you're of your father the devil to the Pharisees. And he points out exactly what they do, which is exactly what the devil does. Lie and murder, which is exactly what they did. Lie and murder. That's what they were uh, focused on. That's what they did. Why? They learned it from their father. But we begin to see a principle. We begin to see this principle here about the standards. The standard that Christ is telling us to follow is the standard that God sets. Not the world, not the devil, but the standard that God sets. If we're continually, you know, uh, if you will, uh, moving to whatever it is we want to change into, then, then we're going to be, you know, have, have these shifting standards, which is what we see today. Standards shift. Standards shift. It's like, you know, all of a sudden, crime is no longer crime. They're just slightly misguided, and because they're slightly misguided, we need to just let them go. Just let them do what they're going to do. Let them steal from, you know, the Ross and the Walmart. And, you know, Ross and Walmart are starting to get a little bit vicious with that. You know, we were over there in Jansen Beach and the, 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 the young man that was standing at the door at the TJ Maxx, he was talking about the security guard over at Duluth. And the security guard over at Duluth and the security guard over at DXL, uh, you know, the men's store over there, those guys, they're armed with tasers and they don't care on who they use them. If you steal their stuff, they're going to tase you, bro. You're going down. <laughs> they, they, they just, they don't care. They're tired of it. And I, I can't say I blame them. And look, hey, if you steal something and you get tasered, don't blame the guy that shot the taser. <laughs> blame yourself. 
I mean, come on. And you fall down and you biff it and you got a nice road rash on your face? Well, okay. Whose fault is that? Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You're going to reap those consequences. So we ask ourselves, though, this question, what are we supposed to change into? What does God want us to change into? If he's going to provide us the doctrine, the teaching, and the standards of what he wants us to change into, well, what is it he wants us to be? And so exactly what he wants us to, what he wants us to be is exactly what he calls us. He repeatedly calls us saints. And, and there's no greater passage of scripture that, that, that really outlines that thought process, and if you will, the thought process of the heart, not just the mind, than Romans chapter 12. About not being conformed to this world, but being transformed so that you will do the will of God. And that's the whole purpose behind those first two verses. And then he goes into exactly how you go about doing that in the rest of the chapter. Even ending it with overcome evil with good. You know how you combat evil? You don't fight it with more evil. You do what's right. You do what's right. This country would be very different if we had a lot more people doing that which was right. But I understand where we are in this this time frame. But we see this. Because you know what's supposed to happen? Think about this. As I said, one of the biggest changes that we had in our life was when we trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior. New creature. New creature. We moved and we transformed, if you will, from sin to salvation. And now we're in this process of sanctification. Where we're going through and we are being set, we've been set aside for God's purpose and God's use, God's pleasure, pleasing Him and His will. And doing the good works that he has ordained us to do. That's that sanctification process. That's what we're supposed to be doing right now. Do we live a sanctified life? That's what he's asking us to move to. And we see this, you know, over and over again from scripture. Turn over to Romans 15. Romans chapter 15. I want you to see something here. Romans chapter 15, give you an example. <clears throat> Romans chapter 15, jump down to verse 13. And he says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. There's a lot packed in that verse. A lot. But I'm going to try to summarize it here just very briefly. If you want hope, you need joy and peace. And in order to get the joy and peace and have that have that hope abound in you, it is only going to come by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It says here the Holy Ghost, right? Now, how does that happen? What, what, what does that look like? It's possible if you look at verse 4, where is where he started. In verse 4, he says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. That we, that we, through patience and comfort of scriptures, might have hope. You want to change from hopeless to hopeful? It involves those two things. Right there, we have the Holy Ghost, and we have the Word of God. 
Those things were written for your learning, and he's the best teacher. You're not going to find anybody better. So what do we find here? We find that, again, this is what he begins to say. He says, look, I'm going to teach, I'm going to teach, I'm going to teach. We found that's one of the principles, uh, principal duties, if you will, uh, uh, the job description of the Holy Spirit, of what he, he specifically does is he teaches us according over there to First John chapter 2. He teaches us. And this is what we need to, need to do. Because it, and here's the important part about teaching. Teaching isn't just about head knowledge. There's a difference between the mind and the heart. When we talk about thoughts, we often think of this. But I will tell you this, this is driven by what's in here. So the thought originates in your heart, God says, and then it moves up to here where it spends way too much time, if it's the wrong one, and then results in what? Something coming out that shouldn't come out or doing something that we shouldn't do. Or worse, it doesn't spend any time in our heart and it just immediately goes to here and then all of a sudden the brain doesn't know what to do with it and just blah! And you have a Peter moment. <laughs> and what does God do? Lovingly and caringly rebukes you. And corrects you. And teaches you what's right. And teaches you what's right. So this is the important part. It it can't just be knowing. Knowing is not enough. Knowing is not enough. You know what it has to be? Just increasing in knowledge does not do anything for the heart. Allowing the Word of God and allowing the Holy Spirit to change the desire of your heart will result in a very specific change that will last. Because most of what happens in our life about the sin and the desire, or um, sin in our life is based off of our desires to do our will. And those desires don't match up with God. There's many devices in the heart of man. We just read that verse. So again, we're, we're right back there. Well, what does James teach us? So turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. <clears throat> I'll end with this. James chapter 1. <clears throat> James chapter 1, and in verse 14, James just calls it out. James is rather blunt about this whole thing, isn't he? <laughs> just like he just gets in there, you get in the book, and the next thing you know is you're getting slapped around. I mean, you haven't even gotten like three or four verses, and you're like... <laughs> You know, and you get to verse 14 here, and he says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Oh. That's the issue. It's what we want. It's it's, it's the lust. It's the desire. I'll give you an example. Is a situation that happens and occurs. A husband and wife are at the point of where, uh, you know, divorce is imminent. And they're sitting down as a last resort with a pastor or a Christian counselor. Don't let that be the last resort. Okay? Should be the first place you go to. Go to the Word of God. 
And if you, if you don't have enough knowledge for it, get somebody, you know, find somebody that will. Okay. Get that, get, get that biblical counsel. Right. But, but here we are with this. I want you to, to, to listen to this. And, and, and the husband and the wife are sitting there in the counseling session. And I'm not saying this has happened to me. Okay. This is just kind of, if you will, one of these teaching aids that, that is often used. And, and the husband is, is he, he doesn't want a, a divorce. She's sick of it. She wants a divorce. And the husband says, I will do anything to keep my wife. Now, a lot of people have said that. And that priority may be admirable. Somebody may think, well, man, this guy's really serious then. He's willing to do anything. He's willing to do anything for her. He's not willing to do anything for God. Why? Because she is his God. She is his idol. I will do anything for fill in the blank. The counselor says, you'll do anything? Yeah, I'll do anything. Will you go rob the Rite Aid down the store? Will you do that for her? No. So then you won't do anything. There's limitations. Pretty soon you begin to see that he's telling himself a lie. And then the question is, Will you do anything from the Word of God that, that God tells you to do? God tells you to do this, and God tells you to do that, and God tells you to do all of these specific things in order to have the right kind of marriage relationship. Will you do those? Well, you know, that, that involves a lot of change. <laughs> you see how quickly things can fall apart. And I use that as an illustrative purpose to show us that sometimes people have different standards based on what is the desire and the lust of their heart. The main thing that we have to come to is when we begin learning about doctrine and we're learning about what the counsel of the Lord is and what God's telling us to do to make whatever change is necessary in our life that comes from Him and comes and is taught by the Holy Spirit of God, that, that we understand that has to be the desire. You have to love God for that. You have to love God more than you love your spouse, more than you love your kids, more than you love your job, more than you love your house, more than you love your car, more than you love your hobbies, more than you love anything in this life. Because if we say, I will do anything for X, Y, or Z, then God is not there. We become foolish in our actions and unwise, and if you will, unlearned and without understanding. But if we say, I will do anything for God, then God comes alongside and he uses his word through the Holy Spirit to teach us and to guide us and to show us what the path of righteousness is for us. And it's not different than any, from anyone else. When I say us, I say us as the body of Christ. 
what his path of righteousness is for his body. To please him, to honor him, to glorify him. And how we go about doing that. You will never find a more pleasing and, if you will, satisfied life than living for the Savior. Next week we'll talk a little bit more about some of this teaching. Again, understanding this doctrine, understanding how things are getting taught to us, that becomes very, very, very critically important as we move on in in this thought process. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer, and uh, we can go ahead and go. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again for everything that you've done for us. Above all, Lord, the salvation that we have through you, and uh, Lord, the Holy Spirit that teaches us and guides us. Lord, I pray that we would uh, just never disregard that. We would never uh, slight it in any way, shape, or form. But Lord, that we would have that desire to do what you have asked us to do, that your will would be the primary thought process of what we need to do in our life. I thank you again, Lord, for all that you've given to us. Pray you just take us home safely tonight and bring us back safe on Sunday. That we can worship you, praise you, and give you thanks for all you've done. And Lord, learn of you. These things I ask and pray in your son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.